Welcome to the Medical Influencers Show and the Regenerative Warrior Show today. My name is Dr. Ross Carter, and we want to welcome our guest, Michael Cohen. Uh, Michael Cohen is a specialist in neurofeedback and biofeedback, which I love the part about biofeedback because my father was a biofeedback therapist, especially when it comes to brain and how the brain works, and especially when it comes to different conditions such as uh, well, a lot of people are today are suffering with anxiety, and you've been involved in this industry probably at least 20, almost 25 years. Is that correct? Correct. Perfect. And so what I would like to do on today's show is really discuss, well, really, people talk about anxiety all the time. You know, I feel anxiety or I'm anxious. What, what, what does that really mean? And, and how does that affect us in a neurological sense, in our brain? And what's going on with anxiety that, that leads to other problems? Because anxiety seems kind of like a, kind of a catch-all term, right? I'm having stress, right? I'm having anxiety, but I don't know what that actually means. So could you, could you give us a little definition about, about anxiety and how you help with it and all that stuff? Would you help us out? Uh, that's, Russ, that's a great question in the sense that when people walk in and they tell me, because I see people who are anxious every day. Yes. Uh, that's who comes yes. uh, along, among others. But um, I go, okay, what does anxiety mean for you? Because everybody assumes it's the same, but it's not. So there's several, what I would call typical classes of anxiety in terms of how people respond to that. Okay. One is I worry a lot. I, I'm in my head. I worry. I'm constantly worrying. Worrying overwhelms me. I can't stop thinking about something. That, that is a type of anxiety. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. I am tense, overwhelmed. I, you know, I, it's almost a physical anxious. Uh, that is type of anxiety. I'm very fearful. So fearfulness is really another type of anxiety. And one of my colleagues, a woman named Seabrun Fisher, who's written a book on kind of trauma and neurofeedback, not that we're talking about trauma, but that's many people somewhere along the way in their life have had things happen that produce anxiety. And she says, all anxiety has fear. There's always an element of fear. And I don't know if I 100% agree, but I always am careful not to disagree with her. So it's, there's something to it. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and so with each of these, you know, there is a brain component. So yes. I am fearful. Okay, that's obviously in my head. I can't shut my brain off and my thoughts, you know, there's a variety of ways my thoughts are creating anxiety for me. Uh, and, you know, just this tense fearfulness is a big issue. Oh, there's one other class I need to point out, yes. which, which everybody doesn't think about enough, which is where is the anxiety? So when you ask people, where does it start? The number of times that people tell me my heart starts racing or my heart is tight or my stomach, I feel this thing in my stomach that then, you know, yes. is in my head. And then you go, which one is first? Is it the stomach or the head that starts it? Right. So, and then they go, hmm, I haven't thought about that. So they're actually now, I don't know how much you 
I haven't gotten to hear some of the discussions, but there is emerging evidence about what is called the microbiome or our gut brain connection. Yes. That all anxiety actually starts in the gut. So now, even if they don't mention the stomach, I go, does it ever happen in your stomach when you have these thoughts in your head? Yes. Oh yeah. Well, it always, I always feel something in my stomach when those thoughts are in my head. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so it could have been the, the, the McDonald's they had before they, uh, they, they started feeling anxiety that could have caused them to have it from the first place, right? Or the McDonald's they had over the last 10 years. Exactly. That have caught up. <laughs> the accumulation. But they haven't, they don't put that together. Right. Or I, I literally have a guy right now who believes that he is Mr. Anxious and he is very, he gets caught up in worry it always starts with his stomach. And now that he's doing better, because what I do is I help people strengthen their, the part of their brain that's helping them calm. And uh, now that he is functioning better, and you ask him, oh, I had this big anxiety episode. Where did it start? Oh, well, actually, my stomach started bothering me, and then I had all these thoughts. Uh-huh. And he's learning that what he's been eating is driving his thinking problems but since he always had anxiety before he couldn't quite figure it out because everything made him anxious right now that he's actually doing better we can kind of step back and this is this is having a health provider who helps you look carefully step by step at your lifestyle at things that happen around you and go what is contributing to your anxiety instead of just your negative thoughts which everybody's already told you, okay, it's your negative thoughts. Think better. You know, you have to learn to think better. That's it. People are anxious. How do they do that? Just think happy. (laughs) So can you start to help people figure out, and you know, I know you're very tuned to this. How, what else, what other things are potentially contributing and what are the best tools that they can use to help them gain some control? But I help people learn to get strengthen the part of their brain that makes them more calm or helps them quit, stop thinking so much. But so much is also, what did you eat? What did you drink? Not just today, but your whole lifestyle. So when you, when you say it, it, it does affect, there's a brain component there. So yep. what is it that's going on in the brain that's causing this emotional state? So rather than answer it exactly that way, let's think of it as what does the brain look like when you're not. That's perfect. Yeah. When, when, when you're anxious. Okay. So, so when you have anxiety, you're having an anxiety attack or different levels of it. There's, there's a brain wave pattern or there's something in your brain that you can actually measure. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so typically not only measure, but, you can change. Oh, that's even In other words, if I can measure, so let's talk about the temporal lobes. Perfect. So does anybody know what the temporal lobes are? They're right above your ears. Okay. And um, this plays a significant role in emotional regulation. Uh So if I need to be calm because something really stressful is about to happen, I, you are, I'm about to have you go see your mother-in-law who might be a very stressful person, for example. Okay. 
and you start getting anxious right away. Funny, that's true. Huh. Um, <laughs> and if you're right, I'm going to pick the right temporal lobe. The right temporal lobe, training the right temporal lobe. Okay. Uh, that's the right for me. Um, if you right. can exercise and get the neurons of your brain to increase their activity so that that part of the brain does a better job of calming you, literally, this is part of the brain that helps you be more calm. So to the you right say, side, this part is the calming part. It is typically, you can't say it's 100%, but it's typically training that helps people be more calm so that they're about to go into a new setting or some, a very conflictual setting or something that's going to set them off. Uh-huh. And, you know, we all know, okay, breathe. Okay. But we already breathed and that wasn't helping. But if the part of the brain is working better, that's supposed to go, okay, just don't react to this. Just don't ramp up. Don't let yourself get out of control. Just keep it calm. Yes. If this part of your brain is stronger, if uh-huh. it does a better job of what it's supposed to do, you will be more calm. You will react less. Is that possible? Absolutely. And people often are on medications because they're constantly being stressed and they can't calm themselves. But those medications don't teach them anything. No. If they can teach, if they can exercise the heck out of their brain. Now we use special equipment because most people, if I asked you to increase the activity of your right temporal lobe, just, just make your neurons fire more often 12 to 15 times per second for a while. Right. Can you do that? Probably not. Not, not, not. I don't think so. Okay. But if you have a machine that tells you, okay, I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. And the, like you have a Pac-Man goes and it goes when you're doing it and oh, it stops. Okay. I got to learn to do it better. Your brain literally, just like you learn, you know, how to stand on a balance board. You know, you I stand know. on a balance board, you tip over. Eventually you bounce. Yes. Eventually, you figure out how to make that Pac-Man go. And when it does, your brain is literally practicing making more of the calm pattern. Okay. Or you can watch a movie and the movie fades out when you're not doing so good, but you get to see the movie when your brain is more calm. Okay. But this is an exercise model for saying your brain is just like a muscle, you know? If I can't pick something up because I'm weak, there's this thing called exercise. And if you pump your muscles, you strengthen them. Neurofeedback is just, let's pump your neurons. If you practice pumping neurons in the right area of the brain and the right temporal lobe for calming, is a really good one to exercise. But if you're obsessing or if you're worrying and you yes. can't stop thinking about things, it's actually an area called the interior cingulate. And that's up on the front, the middle? The front middle. Mm-hmm. Got it. And so when that area is active, you're in the worry state. Correct. Okay. So what about massage? So if I could just sit here and massage this, would that stimulate it? You know, it's actually a really good question. I mean, sometimes I tell people, why don't you just try that and see? Now, I haven't gotten any good clinical reports on that. that. Reports that or not, I guess. But it doesn't hurt. Sure. I mean. If it works. It's a little harder to, you're actually doing the outside and you're not actually measuring what's inside. But 
doesn't hurt. Right. So what if what I could take one of those refrigerator magnets and just sit there and. <laughs> what? So there are lots of new types of stimulation technology and yes. magnetic fields is one type of, gee, let's get the body to shift. Yes. So there's light therapy, there's magnetic therapy, there's all different kinds of technology that I, you know, do we know what it's exactly doing? Probably not. But are, is it affecting some of these systems? Right. And we also mentioned that if, some of the anxieties coming from the gut, even if people think it's all in their head, when you learn more about this connection between the gut and the brain, you realize that when, the, when you have eaten poorly, when you don't have enough fiber in your diet, yeah. when you are eating too much sugar and carbs, all of this contributes over time to things that can affect your thoughts, even though you don't know they're coming from your stomach. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, well, we all need to have a good diet and, you know, and having a bad diet really affects everything in our entire body. <laughs> we are what we eat, right? <laughs> so fortunately we have, I work with some really nice tools for people to kind of help gain some control, but you know, isn't it a good idea to actually, as you already just said, eat better enough that you're contributing yourself to right. how to get your whole system to be more calm or minimize some of the cause. I mean, there could be multiple causes, right? So tell us about those tools. Those sound very fascinating. What, what is it? How do you, how do you know how to stimulate the brain and you can monitor if it's working? So, um, literally I'm going to go back to the temporal lobe since we started there. Perfect. So imagine, I mean, when I talked about getting you to increase the activity here, you literally put a sensor over that part of your head. There's a couple more sensors that have to go in your head. Um, and you're, uh, you, it's connected to a computer. Huh? And the computer is literally just reflecting back to you. Like the Pac-Man goes literally when your brain, it's measuring what your brain is doing. And it tells you visually, and there might be a beep or some sound, when you are doing the right thing, just like when you're on that balance board and you don't fall over anymore, you're balancing most of the time at least. Um, your brain is figuring out how to balance. So literally your brain figures out, even though I have no idea how to make those neurons fire, your brain watching feedback that says you're doing it, you're not doing it. You're doing it, you're not doing it your brain literally picks up and starts reinforcing the pattern that keeps Pac-Man going or lets you watch that movie. So in simple terms, all you do is sit in a chair. Uh -huh. You can just sit in a chair, watch a movie with a sensor on your head. And yeah. when your brain is doing better at being more calm, uh -huh. you get to see more of the movie and nobody likes having that movie fade out. So your brain quickly figures out how to do so your therapy is basically sitting and watching movies. I think that's a pretty, that sounds like a very popular therapy. <laughs> well, if we did not do that, yes. the kids who come to us, because we get a lot of kids from age five to 15 would sit there for about five seconds. Right. Yeah. You have to have so, some stimulation. So they tolerate it. Right. Okay. Which so, is good. So, so basically you're using, you're using some type of electrodes to stim. Uh, does it use some type of electrical current or something? Uh, no, it, 
Okay, no, because no. think no. of it this way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there are other types of devices that stimulate you. Yeah. <laughs> so there are multiple types of technologies that in fact stimulate with light and sound and even low level electrical. That is not what neurofeedback does. Neurofeedback measures electrical activity. Your brain makes electricity. Right now your brain is making electricity all over, hopefully. And uh, but just like your body has, is an electrical circuit. Right. So it is your brain figuring out that pattern of, it's kind of like, how do you learn multiplication tables? You actually have to kind of stare at it until your brain gets it. Okay. How does your brain learn to increase its own activity when you give it instant information, you're doing it, you're not doing it, you're doing it, you're not doing it. Your brain is learning to increase its own activity. So you're actually learning to stimulate that part of your brain. So you got the stimulate right, but you're not having electrical stimulation. Literally, you're practicing building a pattern, stimulating your own brain. Wouldn't you want to de-stimulate this area as well at the same time? You mean if you're thinking too much? What if, if, if that's what's causing you to have it, would, would you destimulate or do? So, yeah, actually, that's the right question. Um, so when I say you are measuring activity and I was kind of alluding to increasing activity. Yes. Sometimes your job is to you, your Pac-Man stops if you don't decrease. So if, if there's too much going on here. Right you can change basically the, the, the person running the system, which is somebody who's trained is going to set it to say, okay, in this case, your brain is way over firing of certain patterns. You're only going to get the Pac-Man when that settles down. So do you determine which one is better? Uh, if we need to desensitize this or stimulate this, do you do that first and then do the, and then do like the movie thing that you were talking about? So there's a, there's a tool that we use uh, called a quantitative EEG brain map. That sounds big, but basically it just means I measure the electrical activity across your head. Okay. And I have my anywhere from 19 to 32 sites on your head that I'm measuring. Yeah. And then it shows me, well, what does your brain pattern look like compared to other people you're in your age range? Okay. And where is there too much or too little activity compared uh, to the average. Okay. And then we can look here and go, oh, gee, your brain is going way too fast, which yours is probably, oh, sh I shouldn't say that, but you probably got a lot going on up there. I mean, sure. you kind of have a fast brain. and Literally, you can see fast patterns right. when that occurs, but you also have people who it's going too slow and uh, they, they get stuck in their head because their brain's not able to kind of kickstart in a way, kickstart itself out of that. So when you have a map that tells you, it gives you a little more preciseness on where do I go to train because maybe it's not here. Maybe it's actually in the back of the head because you had a, you fell on your head right. from when you were riding a skateboard when you were 12. <laughs> now, does it, uh, should the brain activity be, uh, this, is it the same kind of all the time or are you doing something that basically, yeah, how do you, you know, because I would think it's like measuring any kind of thing, you know, at this moment in time, it's like this, but sometime later it could be this way. How do you know if you're getting the right data in general? I guess that's what I'm looking at. 
So uh, the original model of this type of brain map was actually developed by uh, a PhD from NYU Medical School back in the 80s. Okay, Brian. And early 80s. And he developed a model where they look at, well, what does your brain look like when your eyes are closed and you're doing nothing? Right. And your eyes are open and you're just sitting there and doing nothing. Let's right. look at that over a several minute period, not just a moment, because um, we really need to average that out. And that's what they use as their basis. And so in general, that is a really good what is called baseline measure of what people's activities should be. It's not a perfect answer to your question because no. your question is still valid. Like if I happen to be super agitated when I come in to watch, right. because right. I just was at my mother-in-law's, yes. um, could my brain be not in an optimum place to record it at that moment? It's a reasonable question. And we even ask questions like that. Are you in a Are you in a relatively normal state? State, or let's say, let's say you had terrible time sleeping. Right. So let's say you had slept badly for the last two weeks. I can't imagine who would have that problem. But me neither. Um, so you've slept badly, which might be several hours only. Right. Is your brain pattern going to really be normal? Well. That's a question that I, we're asking people before we do a recording. Let's see, you know, how you're doing. Right. Um, but we may need to look at what your brain looks like not sleeping because if somebody hasn't slept for months or a year or longer, in other words, it's a chronic pattern, then we need to look at what's that look like and how can we correct that. Right, because you could obviously see something is overstimulated there you would assume that's what you're going to see. I, I don't want to say that that's always going to be what you see, but that is likely that, and that's why you measure it. Cause sometimes you get a surprise. Gee, it, it, there's another aspect or literally it's from some kind of concussion or head hit or car wreck or fall or something that they never even knew was related. Gotcha. I gotcha. So you have to actually dig into some of their history to find out what could be the cause, right? Well, you dig into their history, but when you look at the map, yeah. you're like, I mean, I, I remember a guy and I'm like, anybody ever like throw a baseball at your head or something like that? Because there's a spot over here. He's like, this guy was like 70. He's oh. like, when I was 12 years old, wow. I got hit by a ball really hard right there. And it had, it had actually affected his life. Nobody knew. I think a lot of his ADD and some of his sleep problems were actually chronically right. probably related to that. Although maybe his head looked like that before he got hit on the baseball, but that's unlikely. But so when somebody's been through that kind of a trauma, can you help even if it's, if it's a physical thing? Well, I mean, if you meet somebody who has a screwed up back because they've been involved in an accident, can you do things to help them strengthen that and ad adapt and adjust the signaling across that uh, central nervous system. Well, this is just part of the central nervous system. Sure. That training that we talked about, putting sensors in particular areas and getting people to change that pattern right. is part of your brain adapting its nervous system. Now, that might not be the only way to do it, but that it's a very powerful way to do it. 
Amazing. Amazing. So what are the, some of the symptoms that people that when you're under anxiety, uh, people tend to have, what, what are the, how would they know? Some people don't know if they're anxious or not, for example, how do you know if you have anxiety or what are uh, typical symptoms of anxiety? So, so I'm going to caution my comment in the following way. The people who come to me, yes, either know they're really anxious because they probably don't get to me unless they've been dealing with it for a while. Right. Uh, so I have a little bit limited set of people or some of the people who come to me tell me they're anxious and I ask them, what makes you say that? And they say, I've been to therapists and I've been to doctors and they've told me that my sleep problem or my problem with what I'm doing is from anxiety. Okay. And I'm like, what well, do you feel anxious? And then we start talking about what is anxiety and they go, well, I must be anxious because they told me. Oh, I'm a little cautious about that. I think people either, there are a lot of things that happen. You know, you feel stressed, you feel you have a hard time concentrating, you have a hard time quieting your mind. I mean, or you feel really tense. Is that always anxiety? Are there physical reasons that people may in fact feel anxious? Could your gut be involved and you, you have, uh, you know, you need to take prebiotics, you need to take probiotics, you need to improve your diet. I mean, there are many different factors. So part of what I ask is, do you think you're anxious? And then I explore, well, what you have to, instead of using the word anxiety, I go, well, tell me what that means without using the word anxiety. Okay. Let's find out. Well, you know, I had a woman who had anxiety and panic attacks, 57 year old nurse practitioner. Oh, Okay. okay. 20 years of history. And I go, well, so what does it mean? Anxiety and pack attacks. And she says, my hand gets really tight and tense. And then my heart starts getting, you know, my chest gets tight and my stomach gets very tight. And that's my extreme anxiety. Huh? Okay. Well, are there other, okay. Does your thoughts happen first or does that happen first? No, that happens first. And then I have, anxious thoughts right if you're tense and your heart is like that you're gonna feel anxious sure like why is that happening and so that's where i start why is that happening now can i train the brain to do a better job of being calming down absolutely yeah but is that the only is there anything else for example do you live in a moldy house right that actually produces physiological stress. Not for everybody. Some people are more sensitive to that. 5G, live in, hmm? 5G electrical. The, the EMF stuff is, I have the most extreme anxiety case that I just got. I mean, recently I got lots of extreme anxiety. I actually had the husband agreed to shut off their, EMF, their Wi-Fi. Yeah. And, and she turned off her cell phone. Now they were quite desperate because... She couldn't even take care of her kids. She was so anxious, disabled, and had tinnitus. You know what tinnitus or tinnitus yeah. is? Uh, ringing in the ears. Correct. It's like crippling. Yes. Two weeks after turning that off and doing a little of the biofeedback with us, 95% reduction in her anxiety, unrelenting every moment, anxiety and tinnitus, 95% reduction. 
Was that because I do a great work with my biofeedback? Okay, I'm, I'm reasonably good at that. Yeah. But I've never seen anybody change that fast. Right. So was her, in her case, I can't say everybody's going to respond to Wi-Fi in that way. She was sleeping 12 feet from her modem router. Right. Actually, we turn ours off every night. We, we turn, our, turn off our cells, turn off our, our Wi-Fi. We don't need it. So we don't need the, the extra <laughs> EMF. Stimulation. It stimulates exactly. your nervous system. And that is not a great thing for either anxiety. No. No. So, so do, do uh, most of the patients that you have have challenges with sleep? Probably 50% of anxious people come with a sleep anxious package. <laughs> okay. Um, I got you. And, and one of the reasons people often think they're anxious, another class. Yes. They wake up anywhere from three to six or seven in the morning and they have consuming thoughts and anxious and feel tense and feel all these things. And, that's, and they immediately say that's anxiety because everybody's told them, well, that means you're anxious. Okay. So do you really wake up out of a sound sleep where you are at your most calm? That is, that is the time your nervous system is supposed to be the most calm and quiet. Right. Yeah. And you wake up in this physiological, really, agitation. Yeah. And were you thinking anxious thoughts and that's why you woke up? Well, that's what everybody assumes. They say, oh, yes, that's what it was. But is that really what's happening? Mm. So did you eat too late? There's something called circadian rhythms. People are actually eating way too late. They're getting way too much blue light stimulation from every screen and every LED and every LCD light in their house. Yep. And is that affecting their nervous system when they wake up? That's what the research says. Yeah, exactly but nobody's paying any attention. So when someone says they're anxious, I'm like, okay, are there any other potential? When, but it's because I'm waking like that. Are there potential other interrupters? And do you also, while we're doing what we're doing, which is to calm you down and to get your nervous system to calm down, like, just like you did, you did some things. You turned off your Wi-Fi. You turned, you don't need, we didn't, Nobody grew up, okay, I need more Wi-Fi when I'm sleeping. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think that is a whole class of anxiety sleep Yeah. that, you know, the answer is often when they go to their doctors, here's a benzodiazepine, that's Xanax, that is Clonopin, there are other drug names, but that's the solution to that problem. That is not a solution to that problem. And in the long term, that makes it worse. Sure. And they're hard to get off of. So having a little more knowledge about becoming a detective, and I'm giving way too much information, but between Wi-Fi, between this whole, there's a book called The Circadian Code. Okay. And uh, there's a TED Talk on, uh, by the guy who wrote it, uh, uh, Panda is his last name. So you can look up Circadian TED Talk and Panda. But he explains just the role of when you eat, when you go to sleep and the role of light 
in how our nervous system helps settle itself and have a more systematic rhythm. And so for, I never even knew this until a year ago. And I'm like, well, how come I'm not telling my patients what time are you eating? You know, what time do you stop eating? You should actually stop eating, according to him, three hours before you go to sleep. And I mean nothing but water. Right. What percentage of people go, I'm going to have this little snack yeah. within an hour before they go to bed, not realizing that in the long term, not the short term, in the long term, over a 12 to 15 week period, your body, it confuses your body about what time it is. Yes. That's true. And what about when you wake up and you maybe have low blood sugar? Do you, does it recommend eating, uh, eating something to help with that or not eating? So that's a different question that it doesn't really get discussed in the circadian rhythm. Oh, okay. but, if, but if you look at more diet things, yes. what are you eating, you know, you have to be really careful about complex carbs and what you're eating because if you're not careful, it'll spike your blood. I mean, your blood sugar will drop if right. you eat too much refined carbs. And think of that three-hour window. If you happen to do that in less than three hours from when you go to sleep, you're putting yourself at great vulnerability for blood spikes. Blood uh, sugar yes. spikes. That makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. Very fascinating. So you practice uh, in Florida. You are in... Jupiter, Florida. Jupiter, Florida. Fantastic. Which is just north of West Palm Beach. And we've been here 15 years now. And... Uh, it, you know, part of my job is just helping people sort out well, which of these things, you know, unfortunately, I told too many things and people can get overwhelmed. Oh, what do I do first? How do I figure this right, out? Right. So finding someone who, whether it's someone like me or they're, you know, a chiropractor, a really good, uh, more holistic oriented doctor saying what could be the underlying cause, finding somebody who can help you guide you through, well, which of these steps can we do? I tend to get people who are pretty desperate and yeah. need, need some help quickly. Right. But once we get them settled, then I go, well, let's try to find out why it happened. And right. See if we can help address that. That makes sense. Become a detective on which of these things might be playing a role. Perfect. And that will, that'll lead us right into your book. Now you, did you, you wrote a book about uh, uh, neurofeedback, correct? So I have a book called Neurofeedback 101, you know, how, how to help anxiety, depression, ADHD, and beyond without medications. But I have been in the field of neurofeedback, which we've already described, for almost 25 years. I've taught over 3,000 health professionals how to use this with their clients, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of different technologies, so I've kind of helped people understand these different technologies and how to use them. The reason for the book is, you know, some of the questions you asked me at the beginning, which is, how do you how do you do this? What part of the brain? How do you just? And I guarantee you had a lot more questions than that. You kind of limited your questions. Of course. Uh, people are a little weirded out when you say you do what to my brain. You're gonna. You're going to put a sensor on my head and what? You're going to zap me with electricity. Right. Or, how could putting, we don't, you know, we're just measuring. How could you possibly change my anxiety by playing a movie or a Pac-Man game and sitting in a chair and watching that? How is that? 
Yeah. And yet, you know, kids learn how to play video, how to play video games without any manual. Their brain figures out patterns. We're just helping the brain literally change its underlying pattern. Mm -hmm. Explaining that is a challenging thing to do because everybody has slightly different questions. You asked yours. And even then that wasn't a two minute explanation. I did not give you a two minute explanation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to do. So there was really nothing out there that made it simple enough that people could understand it. Uh, and it, that it really answered a broad set of questions. That's what I attempted to do. I've gotten some feedback that I got close uh, to helping make it a lot simpler. And the book title is called Neurofeedback 101, Rewiring the Brain for Anxiety, ADHD, Depression, and Beyond. Correct? Yep. You just search on Amazon and it's there. Awesome. And that way uh, they can they could get all the questions that, they, that I wasn't able to ask, I guess. In, in a way, I actually think the book is more about some of the things you were asking, which is how does the brain actually do this? Uh, yes. How does the brain work? What is this anxiety thing in the brain? So a lot of what I really, that's the hard part. What is the brain actually doing? So that's what we really tried to simplify. This is way more complex than I can put in the book. Sure. But the, the principles of what you asked and a little beyond help people understand, well, this is why my brain is doing this and I can actually do something about it. So that's what I hope to help them understand. Well, beautiful. I think that's a good segue. And to tell us, you know, if somebody who is uh, suffering with uh, anxiety or maybe even sleep problems or attention issues or memory or stress or whatever you want to call it, maybe a, maybe a brain issue, uh, if they're looking to um, get in touch with you, how would they do that? So they can really find our website, uh, which is Center for Brain. Uh, com. That's the website. That's the easiest. There's a lot, really a lot of information on that website. Uh, but I would also say if they're not local or they have family members someplace else that need to investigate that, yes. if they type in neurofeedback, because that's the class of category or biofeedback, but neurofeedback is kind of the brain piece of that, um, and put their zip code in or put their name in, I mean, you still have to find somebody that you, like with any health uh, provider, you've got to find somebody you feel comfortable with that has experience in your problem. But there are a lot of, you know, not lots, there are not tons of people who do this, but around the country, there are people in many, many different locations. So search for people who are a little closer to you and feel free, you know, call people and ask them. How can you help and see if you feel comfortable with what they do? A lot of these people have websites. So I encourage people to just learn more about what their feedback is. And then, you know, everybody knows somebody. They go, oh, my brother-in-law really needs this. And uh, so this is really just trying to give everybody an introduction to here's, here's a tool that many people can access that can be helpful other than meds because the meds, um, the meds may be needed to reduce symptoms, but they're not going to help people over the long term help to gain control, gain control of their nervous system. It's kind of like, you don't want to take a drug for back pain, right? You want to strengthen the back and help the signaling. That's right. essentially what we're doing. We just happen to be doing it for the brain. 
Very nicely said, Mike. All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Michael. We appreciate your time. And uh, I'm sure everybody's going to go check out your book afterwards. And if there's anything, uh, any words that you'd like to say at the end? Well, uh, I appreciate your inviting me. Um, I, uh, I will say something that uh, if you are not sleeping well, so that means you either know you're not sleeping well or you are tired a lot during the day, which often is a strong indicator of poor sleeping, even if you felt like you sleep well. It is absolutely critical that you find help mm -hmm. that is not drug-related in the long term because sleep is number one, two, and three. If you are not sleeping well, your long-term health, there's a lot of risk. And so this technology, and then some of the other things that we talked about, it's so important to find someone that can help you figure out what do you do in the long term to get better sleep. That's the number one thing I would mention. Beautiful. And our feedback helps, but uh, you got to find somebody who can help guide you through all this. Perfect. All right. Nice you said, Mike. Thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thanks so much.